He's got the throw to Demario Douglas, and things are looking pretty good for the Patriots offense. You know, you miss that one to Gesicki, and you're thinking, all right, you know, that's one play. We'll bounce back. And then just the onslaught. You get the slow motion of Mac just taking hits, walking off the field demoralized. Belichick maybe just with a, uh. And then when everything already seems real bad, Christian Gonzalez down with a shoulder injury. Looks even worse than it already was. Then the next play, slow motion. You just zoom in on the ball in the air as it travels right into CeeDee Lamb's hands. I feel like it's just that. And then you just run audio of the Cowboys making fun of the Patriots like I'm sure they were on the sideline. That's, I feel like, the story for this one because I obviously then Judon and Peppers, yeah, those injuries, maybe throw those in there. But yeah, just paint the picture of what a catastrophe this was for the Patriots in terms of their entire offensive execution and then for the defense in terms of just getting hammered over the head with the two injuries you were praying they would not sustain this. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So a day after the Patriots make history for all the wrong reasons, the largest blowout the Bill Belichick era, 38-3 down in Dallas. You saw it, you want to forget it. I'm sorry, we're going to trudge up all of the details of that game and what it means moving forward. We are making history on this podcast, Pat's Interference, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, because we have a guest, and it is not a bottle of beer with me here on a Monday night breaking down the game. Uh, Taylor Kyles of CLNS Media, he's got his film notes. He is as detailed a ball knower as you will find on the beat. It's great to have him first year. And uh, welcome to the party, pal. 38 to 3. You were not down there in Dallas. It seems like you were safe from that. I was. I got back this morning. Two flights, up at 3, watching film since. What's up? What do you just feel about this game? Like, I I don't want to get to the analysis yet. You're just sitting there at home watching this. Like, take me through that. I just kind of started laughing after a while, to be totally honest with you. Like, (laughs) there reached a point where it was like, they're probably not going to come back from this. And then it kind of just got entertaining in, you know, a really cynical way. Um, Yeah, man, I'm just trying. Usually I like to find the pieces, all the positive things. But this is one of those games where you just have to, like, go through the muck and just figure out what the hard, cold reality is. Because at least offensively, there wasn't a whole lot of positives to take away. For sure. And if you don't follow follow Taylor on Twitter, you need to change that now. He will have all of the positives and negatives up on uh, on there with video clips, explanations, X and O's, best as you can find on the beat in a lot of different places. So please do that. Secondarily, the word I used on TV last night was calamity because that's exactly what this felt like to me. Again, the largest blowout, 24 years of the Bill Belichick era for the Patriots. We had never seen this before. And this was a game... I don't know how you felt going into this, but I looked at this as this is a narrative changer, right? Like the Patriots mm-hmm. go from 0-2, panic button, blah, blah, blah. Like the typical Boston sports media negativity you hear about. This is not what we're doing now. This is like real one and three. Go ahead and hit the button. Uh, but two and two would have been sweet. Signature win. Mac wins as an underdog. Like, did that sink in at all for you, the historical perspective? Or you just stuck on like the scoreboard being like, that's a really big number against a really tiny one. Yeah, no, I thought that kind of last week against the Jets, it felt like that was a game where considering what the momentum was at that point, it was like, all right, if they really drop the ball here, then you start having hard conversations, even though it is early on. Then you had the caveat of weather. And we saw that, you know, you don't like to make excuses. I know people are already, they were sick of that after week two. Uh, But really the reality is that the weather wasn't great. So you're saying, okay, 
Dallas, they're in a dome. Maybe the offense, you know, now we can see the man beaters, see what they really look like at full throttle. And it was just it, it, all the goodwill, I think, that Mac built up in this season. I don't want to say it's gone, but man, it's really hard to defend him after seeing so many of the things that haunted him last season that weren't popping up just kind of hit you all in the face at once last night. It really did. Okay, so for the folks who have been with us for a while, we're gonna so we're gonna follow the same format here. If I can speak English words again, we're not two hours of sleep here, stumbling from the start. Call okay. me the Patriots. Um, it'll be the good, the bad. We need to talk instead of game balls. What would NFL film say? And we have a big mailbag because we had a ton of questions, and I want to get to. I think we got to maybe half of them, and I'll respond elsewhere on Twitter. But before we get to that, you used a word that I think is really apropos, and that's reality the cold reality of what happened because it was warm down in Dallas. It is frigid in new England, regardless of the temperature, the hope, everything I wrote that I, I don't know how a fan can believe in the Patriots right now. Like you have to feel like Charlie Brown going to kick the ball on all these potential upsets and have it pulled away from you. So the next question is, can this reality get colder? Like the next question is Matt Judon's hurt. Christian Gonzalez is also out indefinitely. Is this rock bottom for the Patriots or can this go lower in your mind? I think it could go lower because I still think the defense, I don't think they're going to be the top tier unit necessarily that we expected because Judon and Christian Gonzalez were major parts of that. I still do think they have enough of a nucleus that they're going to be able to get by. They still have Bentley. Miles Bryan, I think, is having a career season. Obviously got burned against CeeDee Lamb, but that, you don't put him in those positions. That That is more on scheme than anything else. Uh, so I think the defense will be enough that they will be solid and they will keep them in the vast majority of games. But offensively, I hope that's rock bottom because if it gets any worse, I really don't know what you have to say at that point. Like this felt like Mac Jones being as bad as you can imagine, because usually when he makes mistakes, he does a good job of bouncing back. You know, he'll throw an interception and then he locks in. We saw it against the Dolphins, but we saw just mistake, compound mistake, and then throws across the field, not learning from it when you get away with it and then doing it again, just things that blow your mind. So offensively, I desperately hope that that's as bad as we're going to see it for the rest of the season. But on defense, they got two tough losses. I think, you know, if they got more bad luck, it could get even worse. Yes or no, Judon and Gonzalez, are two best players on that defense. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. If I was, I am I allowed to say that a rookie is one of their best players? But yeah, I think he's <laughs> arguably their best player because there's not a whole lot of film that tells you otherwise. Yeah, and it, the, the assignments speak the loudest, right? Tyree Kill, Garrett Wilson, C. Lamb to a degree, uh, though that didn't come to fruition. We didn't really get a chance to see whether it would be kind of critical downs, third downs, or the entire game. He leaves with an injury, dislocated shoulder, uh, all the best to Christian. Okay, we are going to get to big picture stuff with Mac and Bill, I promise, because I think that's what fans are here for. Like, this is a therapy session, I think, after a game like that. And they'll move on to the Saints, and we'll go into Wednesday, and Bill will do five minutes on everything about New Orleans and down to Bourbon Street to how they like to run deep slant versus, you know, whatever fire zone. And so let's just start with the good. Like, there were some good things, and specifically on defense. One that I want to highlight is Jelani Tavai who, like Miles Bryant, has become kind of a pinata for the fan base. And it was, you know, the Matt Patricia kind of stink that he has to him. And then he gets an extension midseason and everyone's freaking out, even though it's a one and a half percent of the cap. He had against the Cowboys playing off ball linebacker and on the edge, a sack, a pass breakup and two tackles for loss. Like that's an impact game from him. I don't expect that every Sunday, but like we got to give the guys flowers. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I literally just tweeted saying people don't understand or appreciate how well-rounded Jelani Tavai is. Because even last season, you go back there, I think he had three or four pass breakups last season. And if you look at all of them, like he's really getting up there. He's got some legitimate range. And he's an early down player. So you expect him really just to be a guy who's good against the run. He had some blemishes early in the season. I understand why that may be what sticks in people's minds. But he's got a tough role as him and Bentley. It's them taking on a lot of that run responsibility. More often than not, he's setting a good edge. He's disruptive when they really let him off the chain to blitz or rush the passer, as we saw. He had some pressure and a sack like you mentioned so I'm glad you mentioned him because he's someone I feel like doesn't get enough credit when he's doing things well like a Miles Bryant people just kind of remember the negatives but yeah man that was the best performance I think we've seen from him since last year in Arizona so it hit me as I was opening on Jelani Tavai when we have this again calamity down in Dallas it maybe that most people are not happy that I opened with him but I just I want to get to the positives here folks like we can't mm-hmm. overlook everything and go straight into the sewer we're promised we were going to head with very few uh, more detail uh, detours ahead of us, but he deserves credit. He's also someone who's going to be under a spotlight, as you mentioned, with Judah now out. Like that's a guy who can't mm-hmm. set the edge. Didn't do a great job against Miami, but he's going to be there. And you need mm-hmm. twenty more percent from Jelani Tavai to get by with Matt Judon. Twenty more percent from Anthony Jennings, maybe thirty from Josh Uche in passing situations because you're not replacing him one for one. And that goes for Christian Gonzalez as well. So it's going to be kind of all hands on deck there. And Jelani Tavai uh, at least got a good start. Uh, one more positive before we get to what this game is really about. Uh, I would go with maybe I had it right in my back pocket. Dietrich wise. That's another guy who I think is really going to have to step up in the absence of a Matt Judon. Now they don't play the same position wise, more of an interior guy, but you think of Judon and wise. Those are both every down players who on early down against play action, Judon, a lot of his big, uh, the strength that you have for him is that even in run personnel groupings, he can still apply the pressure, bring some pass rush. Now, a lot of that's going to fall on Dietrich wise. And as well, when it comes to stopping the run again why is more of an interior guy he can play on the edge but you're going to need that well-rounded chess piece who can be on the field every down and really be a galvanizing force with all the different waves of players they have in there and he had a really good performance i thought against the cowboys he had a sack uh there was another disruption he had that was more on christian barmore being an attention grabber that he Mm. is uh and had some plays against the run so it was one of those vintage dietrich wise performances gonna need more from him down the stretch all right that is it from the good um one detour into the silly on Dietrich wise. I meant to clip this if I had more time on Twitter today, but there were some post-play skirmish, pushing, shoving that just like kept going, kept going. He jumps in not saying like, Hey, I'm six foot six and my arms could stretch sideline to sideline. He steps in and goes like full scarecrow. He was just like, I'm in the way my arms are jutting out. I'll find it because this sounds ridiculous. And I probably look ridiculous right now for the folks on YouTube, but just shout out to the peacemaker Dietrich wise. who had a couple of pressures. Okay. Brother wise. Yeah, the good is over. Uh, we are on to the bad, and the bad has to start with Mac Jones. He took the blame for this loss after the game, and you'll hear a lot of players say, you know, we win as a team, we lose as a team. That's true. But if you had to pick one player who is at fault for this loss, obviously it's Mac Jones. And the regular stats don't even capture how bad this was. He was 12 of 21, 150 yards, one sack, uh, passer rating of 39.9, the third lowest of his career, and two interceptions. Under pressure, He completely melted. I had him three of nine for 57 yards and a sack against a blitz, three of six, 29 yards and an interception. And to me, Taylor, when I look back at this, not only is it a disappointment that it's a huge regression, like you mentioned, for the first three weeks. Like this is a guy we watched all of last year. This is not the Mac Jones we expected and then were rewarded with for that faith in the offseason in weeks one, two and three. This guy 
regress. And he did so under pressure, starting with that strip sack, which was obviously a killer. I don't need to expound upon that. But what it did was start a domino effect the way I saw it, because their next four of their next five possessions ended because he couldn't handle pressure. The next drive, third down, throws a shallow crossing round, a drag to Devontae Parker off his back foot that almost gets picked off and goes back to the house. After that, has his pick six, which we all saw, cross field. Bad idea. The next drive, he's rolling to the right again, gets to the sideline and throws one into the belly button of a cowboy safety who's five yards away. Two drives after that, another interception. And it's just a guy who was broken because of the threat of pressure, not necessarily the pressure itself. And I don't begrudge him too much for that. I wouldn't want the mere threat of Micah Parsons down my neck and throat. But that's his job. And it was a huge pivot from what we had seen and really what brought this down. Because like you said, he couldn't isolate one bad drive from the next. It just knocked over another possession and another and another. And lo and behold, he's getting benched with three minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, I was just honestly just dumbfounded by what we saw. Like I said, usually he bounces back from those moments. It just really snowballed and kept getting worse. And the thing is, even the plays in between where there's even some stats where you can look at it, it was positive. It like throws a 10 plus air yards. He has first deep completion since week one. Like there were some good, I know we're talking about bad, but it's so hard because there are things that you want to celebrate, but the bad was so bad. Usually in a loss like this, there's blame to go around, right? It's like the offensive line's not going great. And they weren't, he was under pressure 50% of the time he dropped back. The run game, which I thought was actually not as bad as people may have expected early on in the game. You know, it wasn't good enough that you can say, oh, we're going to lean on this to save him. But really, it was the decision making where you expect maybe some off throws here and there or something like that. But you expect him to be on point, mentally clear, not directly putting the team in harm's way, much less scoring for the other team. I feel like I could keep going on. I don't want to bash the guy. I feel like you did a really good job of explaining why this happened. <laughs> I feel like but you did a good job of bashing Andrew. Please go back to that. I want to just <laughs> jump away from this crime scene of Mac Jones, Patriots quarterback. That you I did a lot of venting last here. night. I did a lot of venting last night. But yeah, I mean, it's like I said earlier, you can't have him do that ever, ever again. And snap into NFL action this season with the America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get two hundred dollars. That's two zero zero in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet. That's two hundred dollars in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, you hear me make these ad reads, and hopefully, don't fast forward. Get your money and get into the action right now. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders. I hit the under for Patriots Dolphins. I just had the wrong team winning, uh, and lots more. Visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. $200 in bonus bets with just your first $5 bet. Must be 21 year older and present Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions to apply. Please see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline MA.org or call 800 327 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. Game sense MA.com or call 1 800 GAM. One, two, three, four. No, and, and you you made the right point, which is that you can build up all these small measures of goodwill. You know, gets that 21-yard completion to, to Hunter Henry, extends the play 42-yarder to Demario Douglas uh, on that opening drive. Great. Another demonstration of he can handle the pressure. It just came to that big mistake, snowball, because those mistakes matter more. One of those mm-hmm. mistakes adds up more than four other players that just keep the chains moving add to your success rate like this brings your epa back for the advanced stats folks all the way back to zero or maybe in the negative where it finished for mac jones 
the thing for me is that his failures also speak to a larger issue with the roster. And that I know from speaking with people to the team, they know they have to keep him comfortable. And before that meant like just not under pressure, which is hard to do with the offensive line that you have, but within structure, within timing plays that he likes, we know they've introduced more Alabama concepts. And so when you have the offensive line fail where Vidarian Lowe last two weeks has 10 pressures allowed. Okay. Reminder Stevenson's getting 0.6 yards after contact through four weeks. Matt can't carry the offense. That's just who he is. So if you had to fix something about him or the surroundings to get him comfortable, what's the number one thing you're going to do to get him back on track aside from just wait and cross your fingers? It's got to start with the offensive line, right? Like, yes, I understand that having a big target like a T Higgins or somebody outside, it helps. But you also see the Bengals when they have obviously Joe Burrows dealing with injury and everything. But we've seen that it's pretty hard for even them to compete when you don't have a good offensive line. And Vidarian Lowe, I thought, just had such a tough situation having to deal with Mike Parsons. Nobody's going to do that on a consistent basis. But still, like you said, it's not a one-week thing. It's been the past two weeks where he clearly doesn't feel comfortable to the point where we saw a step back for him I don't think anybody could have possibly foreseen now of course you've also got a situation at left guard where Antonio Mafia has to step in did a decent job but still he should not be out there he's, he's really learning uh to trial by fire for him so I wish you could just get some kind of stabilizing force on the offensive line where he has time and doesn't feel like he's gotta you know be Lamar Jackson or be a player that he's not because I think a lot of the, the overarching issue last night was the pressure and that thing we saw last year where he forgets I am Mac Jones pocket passer who can get out of a jam if I really need to and tries to become like a guy who runs a four or five and can just throw darts on the run and that's not who he is so like you said it just it's keeping him comfortable I want to say a big name wide receiver but I feel like that is just far and away what they need more than anything right now are you uh are you an NBA fan uh, I'm learning about the Celtics, if that's anything. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good I'm new idea to Boston, for, so I'm figuring it out. Yeah. CLNS <laughs> Media, Celtics late night uh, show. Uh, well, it just hit me because I keep describing him, and he's described himself like this. So this is not an affront to Mac Jones. As a pocket-bound point guard. Like, he distributes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play make. And I was just trying, as you were speaking, running through my mind of, like, comparable, I'll just say it, white point guards in the NBA who couldn't create <laughs> their own shot, kind of like Matt can't when it comes to third down. And I landed on Matthew Dellavedova. And I don't know if that means anything to you or we should just absolutely move on as fast as possible. Hey, I like to learn it. That's a cool name. So fire okay. away. All right. Play with the Cavs in the uh, latter LeBron years. Um, so, yeah, you can go back. Scrappy, like all, all, all the white guy garbage. Ah, uh, Scrappy, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> not much big of a shot. Uh, you mentioned the offensive line. I want to hit a couple things here because, you know, the running game – stalled out immediately. And that undercut, I think all of their hopes of beating Dallas in addition to the game script where they just fall behind by, you know, 15 and then it's 22 and then it's 28 at halftime or 25, whatever it was. And they allowed a run stuff on 35% of those rushing attempts. Like that's just, that's just never going to cut it. I, I gave Andre Stevenson, um, you know, whatever the opposite of props is for not getting yards after contact he needs people to block for him and it's just not happening. And so that's affected them. I think as much as the pass protection, because that's what's setting the back here is where they can't set the terms of engagement early. We want to run the ball in the jets and do them win. They can't run the ball in the Cowboys and lose. Um, The only thing that could help there in my mind, and they tried to do this. So I'm wondering what you saw from Bill O'Brien in this area is just get bigger bodies out there in terms of tight ends. And they mixed 11, 12, 13 personnel, the folks at home, one running back, one, two, or three tight ends is what that means. 
and I have some issues with this, but I got to give Bill O'Brien credit before I slam him because he's using Farrell Brown as a fullback, Farrell Brown and Mike Kosicki, Farrell Brown and Hunter Henry, Farrell Brown sometimes on his own to disguise these personnel packages when they want to run versus just saying, okay, whenever we have multiple guys, we are running. Well, what are you seeing in that area that maybe that could spark this run game a little bit? Because you can't, you can't change the offensive line. Yeah, I wrote about something similar. I do think if you're going to come out with all these heavy personnel groupings where you're saying, yes, we are going to run the ball, you got to start mixing in. Now that City So is dealing with a concussion, mix him in as you get healthier. Maybe Mafi once Cole Strange comes in because he's one of your best linemen. Like, I really do think they just can't deal with the tight ends getting blocked into the backfield and shutting down rushing lanes. Like when I'm looking where it's only a seven point game, half of the runs got positive EPA, half didn't. So it's at least, you know, you go in, maybe you would wear them down like the Jets. You could feel that as the game went on, the run game got better. But then it got to the point where once they were behind and then the Patriots were coming out and run formations, they really weren't scared and they were being very aggressive. There were times where guys were coming downhill so fast, you couldn't even get a body on them. So I think it just at least helps if you can get off the ground where there's guys getting good push, but then your tight end who's coming around as elite blockers getting backed into you or, you know, it's just all the penetration that's happening at those positions. So I don't know if you try to scheme around the tight ends better. You know, I think they have some positive plays, but for the most part, I felt like they were just a non-starter on a lot of the plays and kind of sabotage some runs that did have potential. Because if you look at the film and you go play by play, there's areas of the offensive line where people are being moved back, but then there's one person who's behind the line of scrimmage and, wouldn't you know that's where the running back's trying to get to yeah and that's that number starts with an eight which means it's a tight end who's going backwards uh two things on this just before i forget Farrell brown 22 snaps tomorrow douglas 18 tomorrow douglas had your longest gain of the game he had one catch after that 42 yarder in the opening drive just can't happen but let's stay here with the tight ends i said i was going to slam bill o'brien are you ready for me to slam bill o'brien do it mike kasicki nominally a tight end in real life here on planet Earth, super size slot receiver, a guy who the Dolphins knew played like that when they drafted him and used him appropriately. The Patriots are not. He is run blocking on a third of his offensive snaps, far and away through at least four weeks, more than any other season in the NFL. And that sounds like a small number. But again, if you had a slot receiver out there, like Demario Douglas blocking on a third of his snaps, we would all go, what the hell are you doing? That's what they're doing with Mike Kosicki. And when you mention some of those kind of insert plays where he doesn't start as a fullback, but it'll be a tight end in line and then kind of work his way into the B gap and lead as if he was a fullback. Like he's getting met in the hole and then stopped. And I have a clip that'll mm-hmm. be in my film review, the Boston Herald.com. You can't have those plays. And the way you can avoid those plays is just don't script them for Mike Kosicki. Like I understand you can't have him being a walking passing tell but right now Farrell Brown is that for the running game and you can use it to your advantage once a game maybe twice a game like spur play action we saw it against the Jets but stop using Mike Kosicki as a lead blocker or even a run blocker at the point of attack because there were several plays where that happened against Dallas and I'm watching just going why is this happening (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you also see what they do with the 13 personnel set is they'll use him as a Z receiver. So basically, he's just like a Jacoby Myers, or like a Julian Edelman, where he's close to the formation. And basically, you try to get him to block, you know, maybe catch a linebacker off guard or get a safety or a defensive back. And I thought, OK, fine, if you want people to respect him as any kind of run threat, yeah, make it against defensive backs where at least he has a size advantage. But truly, I mean, I, I think he really does try. And I thought maybe the, the issue with his inability to block was a lack of effort, maybe because he was on teams that didn't emphasize it as much. 
but we've seen that it truly is. I don't mean to be rude, but it's a it's a level of incompetence of actually blocking. So I agree. If you're going to do that, I, I think they tried to get him involved more in terms of being like a big body against smaller defenders because that was weirdly absent for the first three weeks. And I was wondering, why are we not seeing Mike Kosicki downfield threat if he's going to be on the field so much and you seem insistent on using him as a run blocker? So I like the change that they used in that department, although it didn't show in the stats. You could see they were trying to get on those cross but in terms of the run game i agree like you got to use your personnel better because i don't really think he's given you much um as a run blocker especially as you said at the point of attack yeah and it's it's funny you mentioned effort because i covered mike in college when i covered penn state for two to three seasons and there are plays like that but like you're big man on mm-hmm. campus i've talked to him about this he's like humble growing up like we all do going from college to a real job and staying at that real job for a while and that isn't the case anymore. Like, it's not an effort thing. It's just his body type, the way he plays football, the way he needs to play football. And he's very good at what he does. But what he does is not run block. So stop using him as a run blocker. Uh, on a brighter note, Demario Douglas, I mentioned 42-yard catch. I think whosever ankles he stole at that, uh, like, 10, 15-yard line might They're still, still in the field. have a, a yep. bone chip um, or, or some sign or an outline, like a crime scene. I said he only had 18 snaps. Again, there's four fewer than Farrell Brown had. There are a couple different reasons for that, but it, but it's too small, right? I think so. So I looked into it, and there is a positive. So he has now become their primary third receiver in three-plus receiver groupings. He had, I think, 16 of the snaps where they were in a three-receiver or more set. Juju Smith-Schuster only had five and two of those. It was because you could tell us more Juju Smith-Schuster blocking or whatever. So that's a positive. All right. We're saying like, why in the world is Juju on the field instead of him? Now it's okay, but he's not really on the field when they're going with their more run personnel where multiple tight ends or multiple running backs. That's where I think you need to start giving him an uptick because if you're going to, like we just talked about, if you're going to have Mike Asicki on the field when he's not an asset, then, you know, I'm sure you could find some way to use Demario Douglas if you're going to have defenses respond in base personnel with you know five linebackers or what have you and then you got a guy like demario douglas who you can put in the slot and empty or whatever and just pick those guys apart so i think the next step in that evolution is seeing okay how can we get more creative so that we get him on the field more if we want it to be a run heavy game plan or whatever sure have some packages for juju and i think that's what they're trying to do and ease demario in but we need to see more of it because obviously even in a game where they were getting blown out they didn't use a ton of 11 personnel which is why his numbers were so small which I think is just silly. Like, I use the guy who is best against man coverage. Belichick said it this morning in WEI. Like, he's particularly good against man-to-man. And that's where they're having issues. Here were their numbers, as far as I could tell, against man-to-man against Dallas. 7 of 13 for 101 yards and an interception. Almost half of those yards, though, came from DeMario Douglas on that one catch and the other longest receptions against man-to-man. Again, 7 of 13, barely 50% for 101 yards in a pick, went to Hunter Henry, who caught passes of 21 and 12 yards, and Mike Kosicki, who had another 12-yard catch. Notably absent from that list of names, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kendrick Bourne, and Devontae Parker. The separation issues are real, my man, and I... Talked to Troy Brown about this last week when we had him on a Zoom call. And he said, I don't know what the fatuation is about separation. Guys on the outside media always bring it up because he just cares about receivers getting open and catching the ball. And I respect the hell out of Troy Brown. Okay, like I had an 80 jersey hanging in my closet. He will know more, play more, everything about receivers than I ever will in my entire lifetime. But I asked him, I was like, okay, so can you separate, (laughs) separate, differentiate separation (laughs) for us 
from getting open. He was like, I just really care if you catch the ball. Like you could be open, but still not have any separation. Basically speaking to what Devontae Parker does and Mike Kosicki. Mm. I don't think that's good enough. I think you need to be better against man coverage because the Patriots knew what they were getting in coming into Dallas and they couldn't do anything about it. Hunter Henry was the only player with more than two catches a week after Kendrick Bourne was the only player versus the Jets with more than two catches. I think this is a bigger deal. I'm going to tie this into Belichick before we go on to the defense. What say you when I lay all of that out on the table? Yeah, I would say with DeMario, one of the only reasons I understand why they don't play him so much is because even when he does things right, you can see that he's not doing everything right. Like <laughs> on the big catch and run, it looked like they were trying to basically run some kind of mesh or a high-low. And he gets jammed into Devontae Parker, and I would guess that his job was supposed to go over that defender rather than go underneath him because even if he doesn't get contacted, he and Parker are going to be right there. That's not how mesh works. You're not supposed to get each other covered. You're supposed to get each other open. So obviously you see why he should be on the field because he finds space, makes a huge play, obviously takes somebody's ankles, still in the field. But I understand as a coach saying, I don't trust him on the field for like 70% of the snaps because all it takes is for him to one run route wrong. And then it's an interception. That's not max fault because he's not in the right spot or like um, Ross Douglas told us earlier in the year against the Eagles, when he brought a route up and he drifted a little bit and almost got picked off by Avante Maddox. So I do think there's validity to why he isn't a bigger piece of the offense, but at the same time, like manufacture touches, it's your Bill O'Brien. It's not really that hard. Get him some, he's always in motion. He's always in Yet he's going in orbit. Maybe throw him, you know, give him some more actual handoffs. Just get him the ball underneath so he can use his ability in space and doesn't necessarily have to be relied on to run these pristine routes. But then when it is man coverage time, like I said, he's being used more in three receiver sets. So I think they are trending in that he's our separator. We need to use him that way, Roll. So this, like I said, is going to bring me to Bill Belichick because we can talk about the numbers I just listed, 7 to 13, 101 yards and a pick for some man-to-man coverage. Uh, Mario Douglas is your best receiver against man-to-man. Juju needs to step up. Mike Kosicki needs to do that. Bill O'Brien should do this. The man responsible for the roster, for the coaching staff, and the systems is Bill Belichick. The Patriots offense has one weapon against man-to-man coverage, and it's a six-round rookie at a Liberty University. That is because that's how Bill Belichick built this team. Obviously, there were higher hopes for Juju Smith-Schuster, but I knew and reported two weeks ago, he's already out of their top five when it comes to pass catchers. You see it on third down when he's not on the field and DeMario Douglas is. So my point would be one. If you make your rookie the most dangerous player in your offense, you're just going to have to stomach the growing pains because the upside is what you're chasing. That's what you need. This is a prove-it season. You're just going to have to do it because it is your fault that he is the most dangerous player out there. So you're going to have to deal with those rookie mistakes because, yes, he's the one committing them on the field, but you're the one who needs to put him in position to get through those, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Second of all, it didn't have to be this way. Like, people want to talk about Mac and the future there and the fifth-year option. It's a lot of premature discussion, I think. And we're here digging into the Cowboys in this game. We'll answer the mailbag question soon. But the bigger picture is it never had to be like this. Swapping out Juju for Jacoby, drafting DeMario Douglas, and then forcing him into this role, you know, bargain shopping at offensive tackle. All of these issues come back to Belichick. And that's why I think as much as we go into the nitty-gritty of all these things, you zoom out and go, okay, why is Mac under so much pressure? Why is DeMario Douglas being forced into some situations and not running the right route? All these different things come back to him. And when you win the six Super Bowls, eight, including the Giants, you get all the credit. You deserve all the credit. Mastermind, greatest coach ever. But right now, you're 26 and 29 without Tom Brady. You haven't beaten a good team basically since Brady left. You had an opportunity against Dallas. We all wrote about it. Some expected. And it didn't happen. You got your butt kicked. 
in a calamitous way that we have never seen before him as a head coach. And this doesn't mean anything more than this was unprecedented in a calamity, which is a big deal. But to me, I'll answer my own question at the start. Rock bottom, we haven't hit there yet because this was something we hadn't seen. It's only week four, and you lose your two best players on defense. This is get much worse. So as much as we might knock O'Brien and Kasicki and all these guys, I'm going to wrap up in a sec. It comes back to Bill. This is not out of spite. It's not personal. I just told everyone I had a Troy Brown jersey in my, my closet as a kid, all right? It's just that's the man in charge. These are the decisions he's made, and these are the ones everyone else on the team is living with. Fair enough. I think it's absolutely fair. Like I tried to, you know, I, I genuinely was optimistic heading into the season. I expected a bigger year from Kendrick Bourne, which I think is, he's flying under the radar, but I feel like that was one of the biggest things heading into the season. You're thinking, okay, if Kendrick lives up to his potential and becomes at least like a pretty solid number two, where you got other guys kind of filling in, that takes a lot off your plate because he plays that important Z role that gets so much production in their offense. And that's a lot of what uh, Jacoby Myers did for a lot of their uh, packages. He was their slot, but he also kind of did a little bit of both. But yeah, I mean, Kendrick hasn't stepped up. Devontae Parker is supposed to be your big play threat on the outside. That doesn't happen. Juju, I feel like every stage since he signed, the expectations went down. At first, I'm thinking he could be a yak threat. Then we see him in camp and it's, oh, he's really more of a chain mover kind of guy. Maybe just be high volume target. Now the regular season starts and we're like, oh, no, like he actually physically might be shot. So I'm not really sure what he gives you. And then you're, I guess the tight ends, I think they could get more involvement, but even still, they're not really getting a lot of explosive plays. They're really keeping drives alive, making the tough catches. So yeah, and then the offensive tackle situation, I think that's more of a long-term problem where they knew Isaiah Wynn was a guy that was kind of a big question mark. And instead of investing in the draft or maybe earlier in free agency to have some kind of plan, now you're stuck this season where there weren't any right tackles that were worth the money that they ultimately got, I would say. So then you don't really get them because you don't want to overpay. And then in the draft, there's not a lot of pure tackles anyway, who you even had that were reasonable options for you to start. So I agree. I think tackle is a long-term problem. I think you could argue that weapons are a long-term problem. I thought that Mac Jones could overcome it by being that point guard behind a strong offensive line. But the right with combined with right tackle and the injury to Cole Strange were just a rotation at the guard spots as well, depending on who's healthy. It's just they're all things, I think offensively, the things that could have gone wrong are starting to go wrong. My head hurts. I, I had completely <laughs> forgot about Goal Strange, who did suffer a knee injury, but was limited in practice every single week. And honestly, if he was healthy, I don't know what the team does because the difference between him and Antonio Maffi seems to be negligible, especially in pass protection where he's getting his butt kicked against the Jets. Not to dump on Cole. It's the same reason that I don't blame Tyquan Thornton for going in the second round. It was Belichick's pick. It was a Patriots decision. It just might have been reached, but this is old news. So hopefully Cole comes back soon. Tyquan could come back next week. Um, and, and we'll see what happens against the Saints. One couple thoughts quickly on the defense. Again, this falls under bad, but you can jump back into good if you want. I ran some numbers. I know you haven't watched the defense as much. Um, the Patriots knew their pass rush dried up two years ago against Dallas. Dak picked them apart, scored on the last five drives or so. Steve Belichick blitzed him on almost 40% of his dropbacks. And it was a lot of zone blitz because obviously you lose Christian Gonzalez. Trouble was, Dak didn't care. He goes 10 of 13 for 96 yards, touchdown in the sack. And the first touchdown was to C.D. Lamb in a just crushing fashion. The very next play after Christian Gonzalez goes out, Miles Bryant's outside, so is Sean Wade. Miles Bryant looks at C.D. Lamb, so does Dak Prescott, and goes, yeah, this will be six. And lofts up, 20-yard touchdown. And they were a cover one. This was a blitz, another blitz, five-man rush, single high safety, man across the board. And I just go, 
that's not great. Right? Like, I, you know, it's, I, I don't know what you would do. Again, pressure dries up two years ago, similar structure, systems, players, yada, yada, main characters. Uh, it's just, it's, it's strange seeing a Belichick coach defense allow 10 points in three of their first four games this season to every, every opponent just gets points, boom, right away. And they adjust very well mid-game, but those game plans seem to be just slipping through their hands. And it's only one short field. Like the Eagles had a short field. That's how they got their touchdown. But they scored 10 points in the first two drives. Miami had 10 points in the first two drives. And so did Dallas. Do you see any common theme there? Um, I'm not sure. I honestly, like I said, I'm still working through the defense. But just like for my initial impression, I thought it was still pretty impressive that they obviously allowed the first two scoring drives. And the one to CeeDee Lamb, that literally – they had three receivers to the short side of the field and CeeDee Lamb isolated by himself to the field. Like that is literally textbook. We want a one-on-one matchup to see what we can get. And Gonzalez out there were like, oh, we're chilling. This is this is going to be six, like you said. Um, but after that, they pretty much clamped down. I thought the biggest issue for them, because the Cowboys, they're going to get it out fast. The biggest thing was tackling and not letting short gains turn into big ones. Obviously, early on, they had, I think the, oh, it was Mapu, who just kind of got lost in coverage. Did a good job early on, but Dak bought time. Somebody scrambled, he lost sight, and then turned into a big play. I thought they did a pretty good job mitigating those types of plays where they weren't getting the ball thrown over their head very often. But the tackling and the pursuit angles, those were areas where I thought they really needed to shore things up and I thought that was a big reason that kind of Dallas started to build some momentum because there are also some plays and run defense I know they'd like to have back although I thought for the most part they were pretty solid considering Dallas just wants to run the ball on you um but I it's hard for me to really critique the defense considering that they're putting in so many good drives especially in the middle of these games and the offense just giving them nothing no momentum it's basically them keeping the entire organization competitive so in my initial dive, I, I really did think that it was tackling and pursuit that were the big bugaboos where if this happens again, like this could string into something worse, even with all these step players. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was impressive that they really didn't get like CeeDee Lamb didn't even have 50 yards. I thought that was incredible. Obviously, Dak spread the ball around and there were other guys who contributed. But given the circumstances, I was pretty impressed by their effort, again, aside from some poor fundamental play along the way. Yeah, it's a great point. And just going back to the tackling, they had 12 missed tackles, far and away, season high. Best tackling defense in the NFL, according to PFF. Uh, Certainly wasn't last week. And you know what? The bottom line is they held them to 23 points. Um, I don't think that's a rosy picture that Belichick has since painted about, you know, I thought we were competitive on defense. Like, yeah, this is an offensive issue. The Patriots have had Mm. 71% of their offensive drives end with them handing the ball to the other team, either via punt or turnover. Worst in the NFL. So clearly... The defense, as you said, kind of is carrying the franchise's hopes and dreams. I would just love to see like Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche listed on the next injury report as like load management. Like they're giving Robert Kraft the piggyback, all of his hopes and dreams. <laughs> carry this team. It's too much. I can't carry the weight. Give him practice. Backslash shoulder injuries for right. a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of lower back kind of stuff. Make him sound old. But I just I wanted to highlight the blitz stuff because it was, I think, spoke to, again, how connected their game two years ago was to this one very briefly, by the way, did obviously was not competitive on Sunday um, and how they had to pivot to play more zone. It ended up being a 60, 40 split from what I could tell uh, a lot of cover two and cover three, but just to feed the defense, anything we missed or can we move on to, we need to talk and then get to uh, what would NFL film say? Uh, I think the only thing is Matt Slater addressed basically said like, yeah, they, they caught us slipping on the uh, surprise two point conversion. That was pretty much it. Like he tipped his cap to the special teams coordinator for the Cowboys, but in just in so many words said like, yeah, 
we goofed. <laughs> they got us. It's not going to happen again. We'll tighten it up. So that's pretty much all I can think of outside. Shout out Bones Fossil. As Kevin Bones Fossil was noted, yeah. every NFL writer and broadcaster's favorite nugget, John Fossil, special teams coordinator for the Cowboys, goes by Bones. Um, all right. We need to talk. Of all the bad things, bad players, position groups, coaches that just you need to sit down. Like, this has got to get fixed ASAP. The one you were sitting down with is who or what? His quarterback. I want to know what the hell happened. <laughs> I just want to go through every single one of those turnovers and be like, Mac, like what, what did you think was going on? What did, what did you think that this wasn't a terrible decision? Like, again, I'm not trying to pile on, but genuinely I was just sitting there dumbfounded. And then I mentioned earlier, there were like the in-between plays where it felt like his clock was just going so fast. There were some scrambles where I thought he tucked the ball way too fast. There were some pockets where I felt like the offensive line actually did a good job kind of parting the Red Sea and giving him room to step up. And I he I think had a better awareness of the fact that there were rushers behind him because of the strip sack. But it like just got way too fast because then he was like, oh, OK, the rush is behind me. I got to get out of here or I got to throw it short. And I thought he missed like Hunter Henry. There were a couple of times against man coverage where the second window was there where there was an intermediate kind of help defender taking away the first read. Then Max steps up. And if he just literally lofts it. Hunter Henry probably has a good gain, but again, it's just throwing short way too fast, trying to run the ball and then just all the mistakes. Like I got to know what was going on. I'd like to know the in-between where is it me being nitpicky or was he just trying to play it safe? Like there's, I have, I have so many questions. I wrote like a thousand words just on the good and the bad, the ugly of Mac today. So yeah, I want some answers. (laughs) Well, we'll get him Wednesday. I don't think he'll be too keen about talking about that, but I, I would encourage you to take a shot because I think a lot of people are wondering too about what happened. He just, and I'm glad you brought up the roomy pockets too, because when I mentioned like the strip sack is an inflection point here where he just was completely spooked again, 2022 took a time machine and, and played the rest of the game. Like he would have last year, you know, he ducked out of those pockets and drifted in a way that was just anticipating that pressure. And again, I get it's Mike Parsons. I get it's to Marcus Lawrence. I get that they're, you know, again, getting through with the blitz pretty much whenever they wanted, you just can't win like that. And maybe this is one game and he continues to seem impervious to pressure, which would be great for the Patriots because they're going to need it. Uh, Cause the person I'm sitting down with lovely guy chatted with him multiple times, Vidarian love 10 pressures. Allowed. He's such a great guy. Such a great guy. It and, makes games like he's really tough. And uh, I have it here somewhere. Uh, I think he was at fault on a run stuff. And Mike Onwenu did not, you know, bathe himself in glory either. Uh, two false starts, holding penalty, run stuff. Um, but I think he's going to come around. I just don't know if Darren Lowe's even going to start a right tackle next week. And maybe it doesn't matter because Calvin Anderson's hanging out. He got benched. Riley Reef has been collecting dust somewhere in Patriot Place. Uh, it could be coming off IR this week, but we'll find out. All right. What would NFL film say? Um for the folks who are just tuning in for the first time, I like to do this segment post game. Like we are an imaginary hour long documentary recapping the Patriots season, but we only get to see the documentary after each game as it's played out. And I get to be the director because I think it helps us keep perspective. It brings me back to watching these either after a Patriots Super Bowl or a 1995 VHS that I bring up way too many times in this podcast. Um, unfinished business, the 1995 Patriots. Uh, so if you're watching that documentary, Taylor Kyles, what does it look like? 
So I think you got to start with Mac looking pretty good under pressure. All right. He's got the throw to Mike Kosicki. He's got the throw to Demario Douglas and things are looking pretty good for the Patriots offense. You know, you missed that one to Kosicki and you're thinking, all right, you know, that's one play. We'll bounce back. And then just the onslaught, you get the slow motion of Mac just taking hits, walking off the field, demoralized Belichick, maybe just with a, uh, and then when everything already seems real bad, Christian Gonzalez down with a shoulder injury looks even worse than it already was. Then the next play slow motion. You just zoom in on the ball in the air as it travels right into CD lamb's hands. I feel like it's just that. And then you just run audio of the Cowboys making fun of the Patriots. Like I'm sure they were on the sideline. That's, I feel like the story for this one, because I and obviously then Judon and peppers. Yeah. Those injuries, maybe throw those in there, but yeah, just paint the picture of, what a catastrophe this was for the Patriots in terms of their entire offensive execution. And then for the defense in terms of just getting hammered over the head with the two injuries, you were praying they would not sustain this season. I'm laughing because that was a terrific dramatic retelling of something that will never exist or probably won't exist <laughs> unless they somehow go to the Super Bowl from where they are right now. One and three. Uh, I would just add some sort of like, Pun, you know, the D in Dallas for the Patriots stands for defeat or like everything in Texas is bigger, including the pain. And then they show like the Belichick stuff and the press conference and uh, Dietrich Wise maybe talking about Belichick's job, pending on how that goes. Uh, very well done. We might we might even just bring you back for that segment. That's probably better than I've ever done coming up with ideas for this segment. What would NFL film say? OK, what would people say in the mailbag? Let's rip through these. We have a lot. The people, again, have been lying on the couch. Am I right? This is a therapy session for everyone. We're talking it out. We're getting through the Cowboys game. Then we're going to move on. So uh, Jaeger is asking, where do we go from here? What is there to even build upon to try and salvage the season? Jaeger, first of all, I hope you're okay. Um, I, I'll let you take this one. Lead off. Um, all right. So I like they're actually using the tight ends downfield. That was something I thought was weirdly absent. Hunter Henry, your best receiver. Feature him. I don't care that it's not exciting. I think that's a pretty big part of it. Mike Kosicki, I touched on it earlier. Use him more downfield. He's a big body. You need explosive plays. At least give him a chance at these passes. And then keep increasing Demario Douglas's role. Like I said, they already showed it where he's pretty much overtaking Juju Smith-Schuster when they're in more pass-oriented groupings. I think that's a good step, but I think you really try to incorporate him more directly. He was used more downfield. You know, he's like the point guy in bunches, and he's running a lot of intermediate deep routes. Use him underneath. Let him use that dynamic ability in space. Um, so that's what I'd say you can build on for the offense. And again, Mac actually had a relatively good day throwing downfield. You didn't expect it. You would, wouldn't think so by looking at the performance as a whole. But there were some strengths there. So I'd say that. And then defensively, Keon White. You know, <laughs> I think that uh, he's someone who's going to have to have a bigger role with Matt Judon going down. He had some disruptive moments uh, against the Cowboys in a limited role. Also kind of got moved out of the way a couple of times against the run. But I think if he does become kind of like a Judon replacement type, he'll be on the edge more. We'll not have to worry about those same double teams. Uh, but yeah, defensively, I feel like right now you're kind of stabilized rather than where do we build? Uh, but yeah, offense, I feel like keep getting your tight ends involved over the middle. That's where Mac does his best work and get the ball into Mario Douglas's hands more and keep, you know, trying to feed him and just keep him on the field at least. Let's Give me something to get excited about. Ah. I don't, I don't even want him to cook. I just want <laughs> up to pop. Um, here, here's what I would say to Jaeger is right now, this is a two week season. I don't care if you're a, a fan or a reporter or a player or coach on the team. And they're going to tell you we're on the Saints. I mean, let go last week. Yada, yada, yada. 
Matthew Slater gave a speech before the Jets game going, hey, fellas, we cannot fall to 0-3. Like, this is about who we want to be and making a decision. They beat the Jets. They get housed to Dallas. He's saying the same things now. Like, they understand 1-5, boom, kiss those playoff hopes goodbye. And you might feel at home they're already gone, and you're waving to them. I would tell you they're not. And it starts, again, with these two games because you are facing an injured Derek Carr, and the Saints are coming to your house. And you're going to Vegas, and you're playing the Raiders, who right now, according to some models, have the same playoff probability as you do. So these, bottom line, are winnable, winnable games. But what you're doing is not building upon anything, like Taylor said. You're plugging holes, man. This ship is sinking. We cannot, like, correct course to go due north. You need to get down in the hull or the whatever part of the ship that I don't know what I'm talking about now. I'm out of my depth, (laughs) speaking about depth, and just plug the holes because it's sinking. And then, hopefully... Watch Derek Carr and Jimmy G sing faster because those are two teams that are known and capable of doing that. The Raiders almost did it last year, and that's your hope. It's not that the Patriots are suddenly going to be a totally different team. Again, I've told you I don't think they've given you any reason to believe in them the last three-plus years, okay? So make them earn that, but make the opponents earn that, first of all, because you can get to three and three. And then it's Buffalo Miami, but this is a two-week season. So I, I would just be encouraged that – Yeah, oh, jump scare. <laughs> the Cowboys and Dolphins and Eagles and blah um, – Cause that's it. That's, that's really all I got. All right. Brett is asking, uh, <laughs> I'd ask if it's time for a fire sale rebuild, but Belichick is still the GM. So any chance Belichick just rides it out with what we have, hoping for enough losses to get a top 10 pick for a franchise quarterback. Look, Belichick, um, is not hoping for that because that might cost him his job and he wants to keep his job. And even in the season in 2020, where I'm on the record writing, Hey, you should probably tank. Um, they wouldn't do it in the season that Belichick told confidants he thought was, you know, not stupid, but not real football because of the way the league kept changing the rules around the COVID protocols, who could play, who couldn't, um, in determining that testing, they go seven to nine. They ride that out. They run Cam Newton into the ground. He's not going to ride anything out for a top 10 quarterback and especially not make that decision early October. So if that's not what you wanted to hear, I'm sorry, but that's just the reality of the situation. Unless Taylor wants to tell me something different. No, I'm with you. I After last night, I started to actually think, all right, is Belichick's job in jeopardy? And I'm not trying to, like, break any headlines or, like, stoke any fires or anything. But truly, after a performance like that, where it feels like defensively, I you know, I still think they were truly solid, all things considered. But offensively, that was a very 2020-esque performance where I went into this season after I heard the rumblings about him maybe being on the hot seat and was like, he's not going to have a season like that again. There's no way. There's too much talent. He's got a competent offensive coordinator. I didn't think this was possible. So if you get two more performances like that, if that if anything like that, like I said, happens again, I I think that Belichick might have to, you know, maybe take a step back in the organization and we see Gerard Mayo's tenure start. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's fire sale. I don't think you want a top 10 pick if you're Belichick, because I don't think Kraft is going to be very happy with you if he has to sit through what he sat through last night. Yeah, he's, all ever again. <laughs> he's already asking all the defensive players again for piggybacks. You know, they're carrying all the hopes and the dreams in the <laughs> franchise and laying on the injury report with these fake injuries. Uh, now, one thing that just came to mind, Chris Price of the Boston Globe beat me to this last night because I had the same thinking, you know, talking about NFL films now. What did this game feel like? Because it was different. And we talked about it. Largest loss for the Patriots by point differential ever under Belichick. It felt like their Monday night loss in New Orleans in 2009, a season when mm-hmm. the Patriots did have uh, documentary crew following Belichick along for a football life, Bill Belichick. And he says to Tom Brady on the sideline, something to the effect of, I just can't do it. I can't get this team to play the way I need them to play. And that's what this, it's very early. 
but that's what uh, Sunday felt like in Dallas. So uh, we're going to find out in the next two weeks, as I, as I just told Jaeger. All right. Caleb is asking me, but I'll put this to you. Hey, Taylor, I was wondering if you get the sense from the team that they feel like Mac isn't a franchise QB or are they confident in him? What is your read on the situation? Thanks. Even if they are deluding themselves, I, I think they do believe that he's a franchise player, but that's because I know this team operates with the mentality of like this season. If it gets to the point where they are talking about getting a quarterback with a high enough pick that he could actually push Mac Jones for his job, then I think the reality starts to shift a little bit. And even Belichick today, he was saying, I don't think we're there yet. We were talking about playing Bailey Zappi. Now I am on the record as saying Bailey Zappi is not real competition. And like Mac literally has to play himself to the bench for Bailey Zappi to be a legitimate starting option. Um, but I, I think that he's shown enough good. Again, I think he's built enough goodwill that they're saying, hey, man, like, whoa, settle down. Let's maybe reverse it a little bit, try to get to a higher uh, trajectory here. Uh, but if you do that again, <clears throat> then we're going to have to have a really hard conversation. I, I think that's what it is. Like, I think you still are hopeful, but I also think like it's so it's too early to say definitively that he is or that he isn't, but that you put the faith in him that he is because you don't have any other options. Yeah, that's that's the biggest part of this. And I think it goes back to last offseason when it was reported that Belichick shopped whatever definition of shopped you want to apply Mac Jones to other teams and inquired about it and found that, yeah, when you have the somewhere between the 16th and 20th best quarterback in the league, like it's hard to upgrade because everyone in the top 15 uh, is probably staying put because that means they're an above average quarterback in the NFL. And that's what you need at minimum to win a championship or contend. As far as a franchise guy, look, I think they know he's not someone who's going to lead them for 10 to 12 years. Again, I spoke to, they understand he needs to be comfortable. This is someone you win with, not someone you win because of. Uh, And the fact that they don't have enough roster talent around him is because of the same man that picked him, which was Bill Belichick. So you're going to ride with him because you have to. I think he is also, again, good enough if you were to surround him with better tackles and weapons next year. Yeah, maybe you make a run. Like, he's accurate. He's smart. Like, he processes pretty well. He has a sweet tooth for just dumbfounding what the F are you doing decision-making. Maybe you just get that removed in the offseason. is all well. Um, but, yeah, probably not long-term. But short-term, they just go, he's good enough, and we just got to ride with it. Uh, Ashley wants to know, Andrew, do you think any of Taekwon Riley for Jack Jones will be activated off IR for this week's game? And who do you think is the most important of that group? That's a good question. Yeah, I I think they need Riley Reef the most, to be totally honest with you. I feel like Tyquan Thornton's the most likely because he's been like, you know, on social media, I feel like he's been posting where he's like, I'm coming. You know, all the athletes have to do that. They like to, like to tease their returns. I think Tyquan's the most likely. I want to say I feel like he's a significant difference maker, but at this point, I don't know. Like the offense just isn't functional. I feel like no one is really living up to their potential. Um, so I think he would help on paper and execution. I have no idea. In terms of who helps you right now, if he comes back, I think it's Riley Reef by a mile. Like Fidari and low Calvin Anderson, the biggest issue with them is I feel like every time they shoot their hands, they get squatted down. Like I, I, I'm trying, I, I, it happens constantly. And it's when you see them losing, it's usually because they're getting knocked down and they're losing their balance. Riley reef is not the most athletic guy in that room. He may be the least athletic guy in that room, but at least from a technical perspective, you can expect him to be on point most of the time. And it's not just going to get embarrassed from a technical perspective. And that's why you give him some help, but I think he can carry his own for the most part and just be fundamentally sound. I, I really hope that he's back very soon and provides some type of stabilizing presence to the right side uh because i just don't think they have a guy with enough experience or enough savvy uh to really hold it down on that right side and level that you're comfortable with 
So I would love to say Riley Reef, based on his resume, everything we've heard about him from teammates and coaches, except for the fact that since day three of training camp, he's not really played right tackle. And that's a position that you need. Oh, like yeah. they moved him into guard. And it's hard for me to say, okay, they put Connor McDermott with the starting offense. And then Trent Brown sits out. So now you're playing, um, you know, Reef at left tackle and it's going back and forth and he's moving around. I just, I don't know whether that spoke more to need in the moment or the fact that they saw Riley Reef at 34. By the way, turned down by the Bears and before that, the Bengals in consecutive seasons. Teams with one of the worst offensive lines in the league in 2021-2022. And just said the athletic gifts have declined so much that even if you're still technically sound, we can't use you out there. And that's why they trade for Vidarian Lowe and Tyrone Wheatley Jr. I don't know what it is. Generally don't know. Um, but you would hope because, yeah, offensive line is the biggest issue. If I had to place a bet, I'm with you. It's Saquon Thornton uh, because we've seen him. You know, not at practice because he can't participate, but he's walking out a little after they get going, like doing his conditioning, you know, seems to be there. What do you expect from him? No idea. The best play of training camp was the one he got injured on. It was a deep ball, rare deep ball. Matt completed during joint practices at Green Bay. Uh, as for Jack Jones, initial reporting was that uh, he would take much longer, I think possibly eight weeks uh, with his injury. And so we just got to keep waiting on that. But I, I would I would almost guarantee one of them is going to be up Sunday. It's just a matter of who, as Ashley uh, points out. All right, we have three more. We'll go boom, boom, boom. Um, Tom, speaking of Taekwondo, can he move the needle in the passing game? Uh, you hope he can. You know, some of the routes that I think you've seen Kendrick Bourne with, like, the double moves, I think that's, like, where you really want to see Taekwondo Thornton, where he's got the off coverage. He can really burn guys. And beyond that, you've even seen some plays where Kendrick Bourne is just asked to just run straight by somebody, and Mac tries to put air under the ball. It hasn't always worked out, but I think at least Taekwondo somebody where you really put that thing out there, and you're like, all right, like, I'm just going to give this everything I have knowing that you can do something with it. I don't think he's really much of an underneath threat because we haven't seen in his professional career a consistent ability. I mean, not that he's, like, played a ton of snaps but you also haven't seen that like slipperiness that you would expect when they tried to give him a lot of screens and rpo stuff last year that just wasn't really it so you hope he can move the needle i feel like you know uh that gum that you pull that it shocks you i think that would move the needle for this offense to be very honest so yeah man i i certainly hope so with his talent i don't know if it moves the needle for the passing game but he might change the geometry for defenses again, just with that raw speed. And even if he's just running, you know, for the love of the game routes, like I'm doing a clear out snap after snap after snap, like that changes things that forces a safety to back up a little bit. Um, and then when they don't throw it to the guy with the four, two speed going down the sideline again for the 10th time, because as you hit on it, he's not particularly quick, had one of the worst three cone times coming out of the draft, very thin, not breaking any tackles, not particularly elusive. It's a straight line player. And there's a use for those. He just, we we didn't see it much last year. Played more snaps than Kendrick Bourne. It was far less productive. Maybe there's a year two leap in there. I, I just, I don't have high hopes, um, but but there's, there are ways where his presence could help other players. So if that, if that moves the needle for you, Tom, God bless. And there's your yes. All right, Theora, she, she's having a tough time in the therapy couch. Is Mac ruined now? Is, is already coming back on this. Would drafting a new quarterback actually make a difference if they don't also change team-building philosophy? Uh, one, I think we're in agreement. Mac is not ruined. Mm. Okay. Yes. Is there any coming back from this? Yes, but you need to be at least one of the Saints or the Raiders, and then definitely one of Buffalo and Miami who will follow those games, and then you're uh, at what, you know, three and five uh, with an uphill climb, but Washington, Indianapolis, then you're five and five, and you can talk yourself into it. Uh, would drafting a new quarterback actually make a difference if they don't change the team building philosophy? This is a much bigger question. 
Um, but I think it would in the sense that whether you're looking at a Caleb Williams or anyone who can operate off platform or has more arm talent, they're going to be able to create plays on their own like Mac can. And that's the benefit of having those type of players. Like you still need to operate from within the pocket. This is not a pocket guys versus dual threat guys. Like you might have in college, the way they break down recruiting, you need both in the NFL. Mac is not both. That's partly why he struggles so much, but guys at the top of the draft, which I don't know how they would get there. Cause they're also not trading up. Um, could change that where you don't need as much help. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. I, again, this kind of goes back to like what I was saying earlier, just the protection is the most important thing to me. I do think they have to figure out what they're doing in the modern day of offense, because their strategy of like, Hey, we're going to, you know, be inexpensive. And even the frustrating thing is they've tried even to spend early picks. Like the way you described Taekwon Thor and I laugh because I'm like, this just doesn't even sound like a Patriots receiver. If you, oh. if you told me that this is a guy, like what are the odds of Patriots kind of feel like you're messing with you, right? There's no way. Um, so I think fundamentally, uh, I think defensively, they're doing a great job. Like, I love that part of the draft. But in terms of offense, I do think they have to change some things in terms of how they value certain positions and what they're willing to give. Because I think you're really seeing it now that these little things are really exacerbated by the fact that the things like right tackle and wide receiver are so, so lacking. It just makes it just extrapolates everything and makes it look worse. So, yeah, I, I would say so. And I think the most glaring example that Fiore might even be thinking about is just receiver, right? Like Belichick has been reticent to spend on a number one or a premium for a number two for a long, long time. First of all, there's value in zagging, right? Like when you're not spending money in those positions, you have less competition. You're more likely to get value spending less at other positions. They're not as valuable as receiver. But the second thing is I don't think he does that because he thinks it's a problem that's more easily solved. Like you could double certain players, put a safety over the top, get better corners, play certain coverages, affect the quarterback. But the way that players are coming up now through the draft, seven on seven, starting in middle school, and the refinement at quarterback and receiver, like their problems, ask Justin Jefferson how he faced the Patriots last year, or Stefan Diggs anytime that he gets to come visit Buffalo or host them up in Buffalo. Like there's nothing Belichick has done to slow either of those guys or several other receivers. So it's it's not a catch-all, but I think he needs to spend more on receiver because their impact and the, the level that they're playing at nowadays is much better and appreciably different, even going back 10, 15 years ago, where they changed the geometry of, of a defense all by themselves, even if the quarterback's not that good. And the only reason they were able to even get away with the fact that they didn't have, like, I don't think you need a, like a Calvin Johnson. You don't need a crazy X, but they had Rob Gronkowski. No one wants a crazy a pretty, X, first of all. Just right. oh. <laughs> You got me. You got me there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even when they were kind of getting away with all the Patriots aren't paying a big receiver, it's because they had a homegrown guy who was willing to not one, not only willing to take less money, but wasn't as valued other places who fit them perfectly, a Hall of Fame tight end, and then a great third down back. Like they were able to control the middle of the field because they had several players who were at the best at their specific roles. They don't have any of those things now. And that's why I say where if you had like a Tyree kill, that makes everybody's life significantly easier because they don't have to be the guy in certain situations you can count on Tyree Kill getting all the attention but now it's like you don't even have a couple really good role players it's like you got Hunter Henry who's pretty good in his role but the other guys it's like all right what do you really do for me one because I don't think a lot of guys are being used to the best of their ability but also because guys aren't executing to the best of their ability so it's tough man 31st in scoring for a reason um 
course I said we would fly through this and I'm just sinking more into this question. Last thing on this, because this is a misconception that has spread into my mentions. I'm sick of seeing it. The Patriots and specifically Belichick are not reluctant or willfully ignoring spending on receivers. They just stink at it. When you look at their average single season rankings, okay. Spending on offense versus spending on defense. Yeah. Some years they spend a lot more on defense than they do on offense, but over a 10 year span, the last 10 years, their average single season ranking in the NFL is 14th in the amount of money they spend on offense. And it's 14th on defense. And when you look at the draft, we already talked about Taekwon Thorpe, who went before him, Cole Strange, offensive players, Nikhil Harry, offensive player, Mac Jones, offensive player, Sonny Michelle, Isaiah Wynn, offensive players, both in the first round. The commonality between all of them so far, maybe one exception or two, is they just stink. And the top players at the other positions, Christian Gonzalez plays defense. Belichick seems to have a better sense of what that looks like, because of course that's where he came up. But this idea that Belichick just ignores offense, doesn't care about it, spends more money on his defense because that's his pride and joy is, is just nonsense. And it's so mm-hmm. easily disproved by doing what I did. Go to overthecap.com, go to pro football <laughs> reference and type in Patriots draft history. It's right there. You can see the swings that connect from the swings that miss. And it just happens that a lot more of those balls that they connect on or picks or signings, are on defense rather than offense. I think they just need to sign all free agents for offense, like, like, or trade for veterans, like that old strategy. They haven't done that in a minute. Why don't we trade for a guy at the end of his deal and then at least get a talent that's a proven commodity? Because I feel like the best, obviously, he's got his late round gems, but a lot of their successes were usually guys where you can see what he does in the NFL. It's a guy that you're familiar with because you played him or you studied him or X, Y, Z. And then you know how it translates to your system. Because as you said, when it comes to drafting, their ability to project how an offensive player will fit in the system, albeit, there was the whole, you know, the Cole Strange Cyclone Thornton draft. They thought they were building an entirely different offense. And, you know, if you want, if you want to be generous, you can give them a pass there. But again, as you mentioned, the draft history before then and since then offensively hasn't been particularly great. So, yeah, I, I really think they just have to find some other means of getting this talent in a way that they feel more comfortable understanding what these guys can do at the pro level. Yeah, it's it's not an investment issue or a willingness or a care. It's just about how they go about spending their money. Okay, like mm-hmm. y'all have friends like that who spend money on stupid stuff, and others who are like, "Yeah, I've got a couple extra zeros at the end of my bank account compared to you because I know where to put my money and watch it grow." Anyway, uh, the Patriots. I am the former, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 I'm very, working on it. very well. Uh, last <laughs> question, Manolo. Uh, apologies, first of all, if I mispronounce that. What do you think Kraft's stance is on the team situation? It's a great way to wrap up again. Like this is the worst loss of Belichick era by point differential. His question continues. Is Bill's desire for breaking the all-time wins record going to set us back as a franchise? Because if Kraft is giving him leeway to chase that, that's going to be two more seasons and that's going to be no more change the way this team is playing. What do you think? I think Robert Kraft after yesterday is like justifiably pretty pissed. <laughs> I think today he probably came down a little bit and was like, all right, all right. Like you're not fired. Come on back in, you know, <laughs> like one of those, but in all seriousness, I, I think there has to be some level of, you know, like I'm being very serious. This is, this is starting to get ridiculous because the defense looks good. The special teams are much improved, but for whatever reason, we know that Belichick isn't the offensive guy, but they got Bill O'Brien. They got Adrian Clem. Robert Kraft is super excited about those acquisitions. What now? 
injuries are a big part of it. I don't want to discredit that because the offensive line has really been screwed by the injury bug, 100%. But at the same time, like you said, they can't score points. They've shown they can move the ball, but they can't finish drives. And then you have games like yesterday where it's just like, it's not even we're building. It's like that was genuinely catastrophic. And it has people asking now in mailbags, where do we go from here? Like that bad. So, I mean, I think that he has to have some level of urgency in terms of, I can't in this, like they have so much history. Like this is a, I, I, I think that he understands that he can't give Belichick maybe that leeway that you mentioned of like chasing the wins record because he needs results. So yeah, I, I think he's, I, I think there's definitely a different level of urgency than there was before the game. I agree. And I have no reporting behind this next statement, but the idea that Kraft would allow Belichick to hang around just to get a record that only reflects on Belichick. Like they count wins from his tenure as the Browns head coach, as well as the Patriots. This is not a Patriots record. This is a Bill Belichick only record. It's not going to happen. Okay. You go five and 12, let's say. I, I would venture to guess Belichick's probably let go because you have a head coach in waiting. And it's Gerard Mayo. And you have a structure and a system that he grew up in. He understands and craft to help contribute to and really facilitate. The system all starts with Belichick, emanates from Belichick for better or worse. Again, same thing I said at the top. You get all the credit when it's going great. When you control the roster and the team and the coaching staff and the way you want to run practice down to when the media gets to go in the locker room, like then all of the blame falls on you when you're one and three to start for a third trade season. So it's not going to set the Patriots back. Uh, I think there is an increased urgency. He's probably pissed is the best way to put that because this was different. Like that, that's why we're talking about therapy couches and we're talking about calamities. 38 to three is something we had never seen under Bill Belichick. This is a new season, not because Bill O'Brien's here or Mac Jones is in his third year. It's because there's pressure on all of those main characters involved. And that pressure is coming down from Robert Kraft, who I don't think will be public about it. Um, but I don't think can stay quiet for much longer, even if that only means until January. So what a note to end on, man. I feel like we both deserve some green tea. Uh, you were coming off a of sickness. I appreciate you playing hurt. This was awesome, man. We will have you back. My Monday nights got a lot more fun than just sitting here talking to myself. Um, and as I said, follow Taylor on Twitter. What's the exact handle? At T-K-Y-L-E-S 39. Yeah. For Danny You'll find a lot more film notes. You will learn more ball. We should all be trying to learn some more ball. It is football season. The Patriots play the Saints on Sunday. I will not see you there. I'm actually uh, going to a wedding, long-term friend in Connecticut. Uh, But I'll I'll see you this week down at Gillette, all right? Yeah, congratulations to your friend. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you, my man. We'll catch (laughs) you.